dismiss our kids, our school-age kids, uh, to the back with their teachers. I think Mr. Crenshaw is one of those. Let's see Willis's and Biley's and a whole gaggle of people. That's good. And so um, we're going to be in Acts 17 if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Um, we've been in the book of, uh, my name is Jason, if you didn't know, I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant, and so uh, glad to be here this morning with you guys. Um, we've been in Acts for the past, I guess, six to nine months, I don't know exactly what it's been, but it's been a while, and as you walk through uh, the book of Acts, um, you're just struck, like, this is like one of the greatest world-changing stories ever, to see, like, from Pentecost to the church spreading all across. I mean, it is this like incredibly uh, moving, but also challenging story, especially when Paul comes in the picture, because Paul's like this uh, superhero, right? That does like no wrong, who gets beat and just sings songs to God as he's being beat. It's like this, we see this picture of um, the church spreading and the church of a missionary God at work. And... um, it inspires me. It really does. Uh, and I want to say this, like for us as a church, um, our heart is this right here, is to see each man, woman, student, child, even in, as a part of our family, be grown up into Christ, equipped for the works of ministry, and then literally sent out to do the same kind of things we see in the book of Acts. Like we should hear these stories and see this picture in the book of Acts, and it should truly move us. You think, we're made in the image of God, right? And so we have this, like, eternal imprint on us that we know that there is just so much more out there. It's why when there's death in the the world, we just grieve so deeply because we we, we have this eternal imprint on us. And then if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been born again into Christ, you've been given, you've been, we just said this, we've been raised up, right? been given brand new life, adopted into God's family. And it says in Corinthians that we're, we are ambassadors for Christ. And what that means is, so we're born in the image of God. And as believers in Jesus, we've given this, this new life, this new birth, which means we are made for so much more. And I know each of you in this room, God has given you passions, God has given you gifts, God has given you influence over things and people, and God wants to use you. And in the depths of your soul, I know this, you know that you're called to more than just going to work every day and doing this thing. We're called to so much more than that. But then there's this drift, and it's in my heart too. It's this, and it's in your heart, I believe, as well. It's this We have this just cultural weight of what life is supposed to be like in the West, in America. And then we read the book of Acts, and there's just this tension. And there's this drift in our lives. And today in Acts 17, we look at Paul's words. And and one of the greatest uh, missionary sermons ever we we see. And I believe uh, Paul's words today um, are going to challenge us, hopefully inspire us, and more than that, break us. Because if we, if we talk about um, God using us, and, and think about the things in your life that just kind of break you. Like we talked about earlier, the Willises are going to China to adopt. They had this spiritual, God spoke to them. God broke them for these children in China. 
and then took this big leap to go do something about it. But it first starts with being broken for something. Because God only uses broken people. That's the story in Acts, the story in all of Scripture. And so if you're here today and I'm talking about doing these great things for the kingdom of God and all this stuff and you, and you feel unqualified, I'm going to tell you, if you feel unqualified, you're probably qualified. Because God only uses broken people. Isn't that good news for us this morning? Let's go to Acts 17. And before I kind of jump in, we're going to be in verse 16 through 30-something, man. Um, I want to talk through... Um, Give you some context. So we see in, what, verses 1 through 15, Paul's in Thessalonica, and then he goes to the Berea, and Paul's doing what Paul does. He goes to Thessalonica, he preaches the gospel. Some folks love it, follow Jesus, and of course, some folks just, just hate it. And so he's sent out Thessalonica to go to, to Berea. And then, same thing in Berea. He goes there, preaches the gospel. Some people love it, some folks just hate it. They throw him out. He has to run his life. It's nothing about running away from people. It must be just terrible. But we talk about Paul a lot. And many times, um, and I think this too, I hear about Paul almost zone out. Because like I said, Paul is like the Superman for Jesus, right? He does no wrong. And we think we are not possibly capable to follow in his footsteps. Look here at uh, verse, um, verse 5, verse 6 and 17. It's another person in this story. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. This is Paul and his people, right? They turned the world upside down. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting as the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. So I want to give you a picture here. We always see Paul getting in trouble. But there's this man named Jason. And all he did was receive them. Listen, when the gospel goes forth, you can preach it. But if you just, just do your part, just receive those, just serve those, just step in that much, you're a part of this too. We're not all called to be the apostle Paul, right? We're not going to go and preach these great sermons or do these kind of big, known things. Many of us in here, we're just Jasons, right? Where we just, we receive, we serve. But in the midst of doing that, the city is like torn up. Something crazy happens. And so he's sent out of there, sent out of Berea, and finally he arrives in Athens. Now, he arrives in Athens, and I was reading about this, and it says that, uh, at that during that time, there was around 30,000 gods in Athens. 30,000 gods. And the Apostle Paul walks in. Like their worst nightmare, right? The Apostle Paul walks into this city with 30,000 idols. It was said, it's easier to find a god than a man in Athens. So this is a very um, uh, pagan society, right? But the people of Athens, they knew something. With 30,000 gods... What it says, those people knew there was something more out there. Something bigger than themselves. Something they were searching for. Maybe wrongly, but they were searching for something more than themselves. Which is just like us today, right? We have all kind of gods in this world. All kind of gods. But they are pointed to something more. All of us in here know that there is something more to this thing called life. 
So let's just go ahead and read it. Uh, verse 16. And while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within. Go ahead and underline that, highlight that. We'll come back to that. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicureans, uh, these were uh, really like atheists almost. They were obsessed with being materialistic and they were living for themselves, believed in no gods outside of that. And the Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? They didn't like what he was saying. Others said, the Stoics said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. These are people that are seeking something more than themselves. 30,000 gods. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. They were searching. They were seeking. And then Paul comes up, right? So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, this grand rock, right? And he says, men of Athens. This is the, like the intellectual, philosophical, like cultural center of the world that time. And Paul steps up and says, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made forward by art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed on a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. It's like the calling card of Paul's gospel. Some mocked, some persecuted, but some want more. So you see here kind of our first point. Paul's gospel was God-centered, it was contextual, and it was powerful. It was God-centered. So you see here, he says to these pagan people, they were created by God for God, right? He doesn't need anything from them, needs nothing from them. He was before time, right? So he was a creator God. 
talks here in verse 26. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods. This is a sovereign God. Not a, not a, not a passive God. It's a God who determines our periods, determines our boundaries, determines where they live, where we live. This is an active, sovereign God. Paul's gospel was completely God-centered. He's in a, a pagan environment, 30,000 gods, right? And he comes in and he talks a God-centered gospel. But not just God-centered. It was also contextual. Look at verse 20, 22. So Paul's standing there, men of Athens, I perceive in every way you are very religious. Even in verse 28, he uses stuff from their own poets. It says, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Paul is talking to them in a language that they understand. Paul comes and he sees they are searching for something more, right? And he kind of communicates that. He says, I perceive you're very religious, that you're searching for more. So it's very God-centered. It's very contextual. And last, it's just very bold. It's very bold. This is verse 30. The times of ignorance. This is the intellectual capital of the world. People who thought they had it figured out. They knew what to do. They were the smartest people, right? He says the time of ignorance is gone. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And this bold gospel always leads to the response of some are intrigued. They want to follow Jesus. But most of the times people are angry or just say, go away. We have nothing to do with you. So it's tempting here for us to kind of read this great missionary text. And and our heart is for each of us to be missionaries in this room. It's easy for us to take this and say, okay, how do we apply this to our context, right? How do we do this? How do we go about and be like Paul and and preach against these gods in our society? How do we do that? But in my heart this week, I, I really felt this, that we don't need how. We do not need how, but we need why. Why is Paul's gospel, why does it seem so different than our gospel? Why does that gospel seem so different than our gospel? When our gospel is preached nowadays, there's just apathy. There's just apathy. There is something that's missing from our gospel. The message has not changed, but the messengers, they have changed. Here's what made Paul's message so rich, so powerful. Look again at verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them, Now, I'll remind you, Paul, (laughs) he was just kicked out of like two towns in like a few weeks. Literally, he was ran out. Imagine yourself being run out of town, right? Being run out of town. I remember I used to watch a show, um, TV show, Friday Night Lights, right? Football coach, good show, all this kind of stuff. Um, In a few episodes, he would lose a game on a Friday night, and people would go put signs in his yard for sale signs in his yard saying, you need to sell your house and get out of here because he lost the game. I'd watch, I'd be, that's Coach Taylor. They can't have Coach Taylor. They can't do that. That was Paul's life. That was his normal, right? And so Paul is literally running for his life. He he leaves Timothy and Silas behind, so he's like alone. His ministry partners are not with him, and he's here, and he's in Athens. And I imagine in my head he just sits down. 
Right? He's got to be tired. At some point, Paul's got to nap. He's got to be tired. He's got to sit down. And in that moment, as Paul is waiting, you ever in an airport and you see all the just stuff around you just going on? And just me being honest, in those moments, I am thinking purely about myself. What kind of seat I'm going to get, who I'm going to sit by. It's a big one right there. All those kind of things, right? And then, but Paul, in the midst of all of this, he has every reason to turn off. He has every reason as he sees these idols, as he see, sees these things, he could partake. He's alone. He is tired. He has kind of this almost righteous reason to kind of just let go for a little bit, right? But what does Paul do? Verse 16. While he was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. His spirit was provoked. From the very innermost parts of his soul, he was broken. He couldn't just sit there and look around and be okay. And here's where we break with Paul. Here is where we in the Western church, here is where I, most of the time, I break with Paul. Because I see these idols, even in our culture, around us, and I'm not broken, I just step right in and say, well, that's okay. I can justify this somehow. I don't see these idols and have this sense of brokenness. This reminds me almost of Jesus, right, in Jerusalem. Luke 19, 41. And when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it. You see this pattern when the Spirit of God is, is around these idols, right? There's brokenness. There's not acceptance. There's not apathy. There's not ignoring. There is brokenness for the idols that are around us. Because if there's not brokenness, at some point we're going to step into those idols and join the culture around us. Listen, we don't weep for our city Because we look like our city. Does that make sense? We can't be provoked by idols because we are walking the same idols as our lost neighbor right by us. And we have this great hope. As I read this text, as I've I've prayed this week, I feel this sense that we have more in common with the people in Athens than we do with Paul. And, And I think many times we're just okay with that. And this is where Jesus talked about the rich man. It's so hard for a rich man to go to heaven because we have everything that we need for this world, right? But there's still something more. So our next point, we must confront the idols of our culture. Say that again. We must confront the idols of our culture. Uh, Tim Keller says about about idols. What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give, to give you what only God can give. So what are our cultural idols? What are the cultural idols of North Bossier, Benton, Blanchard? That little circle, you draw a circle around that area. What are the idols of our culture. What is more important to us than God? And we hear that, and we are trying to think, well, nothing's more important than God to me. Nothing's more important than God. Let's keep going. I've got one sentence, and you can write this down, uh, of what I feel like encapsulates 
our cultural idols. It's keeping ourselves and our families safe and comfortable. Keeping ourselves and our families safe and comfortable. It's not a bad thing. Like, it's not like some, you know, terrible thing, you know. It's, it's none of those kind of things. For us, it is safety and it's comfort. And listen, safety and comfort are good things. They are. When good things become God things, they become bad things, right? And safety and comfort and our little bubble and our little world have risen to a place of prominence. Even myself, I think through many times, my life is driven, or I think through, many times you can kind of judge your idols. What do you go to bed thinking about, dreaming about? What makes you worry? What gets you scared? What gets you upset? What kind of pushes you in, in those ways? For me, it's how am I going to provide for my family? How are we, or how, how am I going to maximize today my comfort today? How am I going to ignore my kids for 30 minutes to maximize my comfort? How am I going to ignore the hurts around me of my neighbors or coworkers or family and friends so that I can serve myself? Does that make sense? Does that resonate at all? How am I going to turn off from the things of the world and just kind of make Jason feel happy and safe and warm? Or if I'm feeling really good, I'll make Tracy feel happy, safe, and warm. Or my kids, happy, safe, and warm. But it kind of just stops right there. It just stops right there. Because in America, we're only responsible for us, right? It's our job. It's all we care about. The problem with that is we look at the words of Scripture. That Jesus had all the trappings of heaven and put that aside to put on flesh, to humble himself and serve the world around him. So safety. Safety. We want to be safe from being bothered by people who are different than us. This is why in the, we have privacy fences. We have gated neighborhoods. We have closed garages. We have this shut-off fortress from the world around us. Right? We call our homes our refuge from the rest of the world. The idol of safety leads us to believing we are sovereign. Look at verse 26. It says, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. We have this illusion that we are in control. And if I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this, we'll be safe forever. We have this illusion. Listen, God is completely in control. And God is also for you. Like this, this, we live in like the safest period in the history of the world, and we are as scared as ever. Is that just not ludicrous to anybody? Like you read like scripture, and like it is, it is crazy what's going on in scripture. People are being killed and thrown and this and that, and you don't see the spirit of fear in scripture. What does Jesus say? He says, do not fear over and over and over again. This, this, this spirit of fear, this idol of safety, it leads us to hiding from those God has called us to. Because God has called us to the hurting, to the outcast. And listen, the hurting and the outcast, they are messy. They are really messy. But God, 
If not us, then who? If not the people filled with the Holy Spirit of God, who is going to care for the least of these? But we have succumbed and we have danced with, we've enjoyed this idol of safety. And our gospel message has suffered. This is why when Stephen Partain, if you don't know, we sent out Stephen and Morgan Partain from here about a year and a half ago to New Orleans, you know, a, a really safe place to live. And, and they're planning a church there. They're living in a neighborhood that most of us in this, in this room would not live in. Uh, a, a few months ago, Stephen literally was held up by gunpoint because he was loving on this lady being beaten up by her boyfriend. And we hear that story, and in our minds, we just shut off. Nope, well that, have fun, Stephen, right? You have fun doing that. And, and I get that on some level. Trust me, I do. But there has to be this sense that if we are filled with the Spirit of God, that we don't hold our own life so tightly. That there is more to life than the here and the now. That we are called to something greater. So that's safety. Comfort. This is mine right here. I'm just so strong, I'm not scared of anything. And so uh, I should be comfortable. Comfort, living for ourselves and our pleasure. Always asking this question, how does this benefit me? <laughs> how does this benefit me? A few, I was at a Covenant Report last Sunday, and Weston shared uh, this statement that I thought was great. Um, we love the Jesus who gets down and washes our feet. I, oh, yeah, amen, mm, amen. We love that Jesus. But the one who says, okay, now you go and do likewise. You go and wash the feet of others. I'm like, well, I'm good, Jesus. Keep washing mine. You missed that toe right there, right? That's the, that's the one that we want. That we love to be served. Oh, we love to be served. And listen, our churches have done a good job at serving us for a long time. We love to be served. But you ask us to begin to sacrifice anything, any of my comfort. I'm like, you need to just go away. It is my Saturday. Leave me alone. It's my, it's my weeknight. Leave me alone, right? And we just think um, that if we just make this day, this life, this thing more enjoyable, more pleasurable, easier, more comfortable, life would be great. We have this aversion, especially like our generation, our younger generation, this aversion to like daily struggle, to like daily disciplines and daily sacrifice because they're not easy. Like Netflix is really easy. It's literally, I go from here to here and I'm entertained, right? And we've just kind of been put in this like sleep coma of entertainment. We just kind of drift from thing to thing, from screen to screen, and never see anything around us. We are asleep in this comfort. Listen, everything in the suburbs is designed for yours and my comfort. I'm not preaching against being in the suburbs, but I am saying we have to be aware of the culture that we, that we are in or it's going to suck us in. And I believe it has sucked us in. And here's how I know that. If, if I was to touch one of these two things in your life, you would probably push back. I'll do that right now. So imagine if right now on Airline Drive uh, in the Bossier Press Tribune, that's what it is, isn't it? In the Bossier Press next week, they said, okay, on Airline Drive, right by the chicken buffet. Why do I have chicken buffet? I have no idea. By the chicken buffet, 
we're going to put low-income housing right there. We're going to put 500 low-income houses right there. All of us will be like, whoa, 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 whoa. A property value. Safety. What kind of people are going to be moving in there? All these things would rise to the surface. And I say this to someone who, who understands. I would have the exact same questions. Then we have to do this. We have to come with the cultural assumptions that we have, that our property value, our safety, all these kind of things we kind of hold high, they cannot be higher than Scripture. They can't be higher than what the words of Jesus says, love those that are hurting, that are poor, that are far away from the great things of this world. We as the, as the church of Jesus Christ, we can't hear that news and think it's okay for me to like be against that. Just that thing in particular, that we have to be for people that are different than us. If not, we're holding high this idol of comfort and this idol of safety. And our gospel suffers from that. This idol is so prevalent in our culture. If we don't see this, see this drift and and repent, God will leave us to ourselves. Look at Romans 1. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Friends, if that's not the Western church, I don't know what is. We claim to know everything and be so pure and our doctrine is so right. But we are fools. In exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to this honoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. God gave them up in their lust. God said, you want this? Fine, take this. And I believe that the Western church, us, God has given us up to these things. You want an illusion of safety, an illusion of real comfort? Fine, have your illusion. And the presence of God is just missing from many of the things that we do as a church. That we've exchanged the idol of safety and comfort for the richness of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are suffering because of that. Because friends, hear this. There is not a choice. This is not like an A and a B. This is feces, and a stake. Our idols are nothing. Jesus says, if you want true life, lose your life and you will find it. But we refuse to lose our lives because we're believing the lie of the creature rather than the created. We're like Athens. We believe we've arrived. We know everything. Listen, safety and comfort are not characteristics that describe the New Testament church but they perfectly describe the Western church. You you don't find safety and comfort in this church right here. But in our church nowadays, I I thought you find safety and comfort everywhere you go. So the Athenians, if they believed in Paul's gospel, that meant their idols came down. It meant they would stick out like a 
sore thumb in their culture. It meant they would sacrifice everything in their culture. The problem with our gospel in the West many times is that we believe in Jesus and nothing changes. We look no different than the rest of the world. Because we are not provoked by the idols among us. We partake in the idols among us. I believe Jesus and Paul could look down airline drive and I believe their hearts would be broken at what they see many times. Because we as a people just live in this idolatrous state of mind. Here's one of our key errors. We are living as if this life is all there is. We are living as if this life is all there is. Like I have to do everything to protect this life and to enjoy this life because that's all there is. But we are made for so much more. Look at Acts 17, verse 26. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. That is good news for us. God is not far away today. For in him we live and move and we have our being. In him we live, we move, we have our being. We have this God image DNA imprinted on us. God created us. He placed us for the purpose of seeking him. But he's not far away. This DNA, this eternal desire for God. A.W. Tozer says this. I read this like yesterday and I just love this. Paul preached at Athens and spoke of mankind's quest for the unknown God. He declared God's intention that mankind should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far away from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Paul was speaking about the presence of God in the universe, a presence that becomes the living, vibrant voice of God, causing the human heart to reach out after him. Alas, man has not known where to reach because of sin. Sin has blinded his eyes. It's dulled his hearing and made his heart unresponsive. I love this here. Sin has made man like a bird without a tongue. It has within itself the instinct and the desire to sing, but not the ability. Listen, God is near. And, and I, I, I have prayed this week, as I say these things that almost offend me on some level, these hard truths, right, that God began to break our hearts for this. He would soften our hearts. We just sang how he changes the leper's spots, how he melts the hearts of stone. So what is our response? Look at verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. It's a Christian message, right? It's repent and believe in the good news of the gospel, that Jesus came, he died, and he rose again. Because if Jesus rose again, if a man named Jesus 2,000 years ago really rose again, 
Our illusions of comfort and safety are just that, illusions. All hope is found in the resurrected God-man, Jesus Christ. It is that and that alone that provides true comfort and true safety. That is the good news of the gospel. That God is saying, repent, turn away, flee, look at those things as rubbish and believe in me. Believe in me. So, you know, I've been um, a Christian pretty much my entire life. And at the age of 18, um, I felt this calling into like vocational ministry, right? And I did that for years and years, probably eight, nine, ten years. Worked at churches, helped start a church, did all these things. And uh, at one time, I got caught up in sexual sin. I, I lost my leadership. Um, I was completely humbled. I was completely broken. I was completely like, what in the world is going on here? And it was in that moment that I truly actually met the real gospel of Jesus Christ. That hear this, friends, God loves broken people. There is nothing I did. I can look back and I sing songs like he changes the leper's spots. And friends, I'm here to tell you, he changes the leper's spots. He does. He is a good God and friends, he is near right now. I pray that the idols of our culture right now are like a bitter taste to you. And that the goodness and the sweetness of Jesus Christ and his news right now is appealing to your heart. But friends, hear this. We would all agree sexual sin and these sins, we need to repent of those and believe in the gospel. But this week, the same distaste that I faced 10, 12 years ago and that kind of sin, I saw in my own heart this week. That I wanted comfort more than anything in this world. I wanted comfort more than God. And friends, that is just as gross, just as idolatrous as sexual sin. And this week, I have to repent in the exact same way. And tomorrow, I have to repent in the exact same way from that kind of sin. That we see these cultural idols for what they are, preventing us from the richness and the goodness of Jesus Christ. We started today with this picture of every man, woman, student, and child living out their calling in God's kingdom. Friends, hear this. You you can't be on mission for God if we're not broken for God. But listen, God will use broken people in a miraculous way. I, I can't tell you how excited I am sometimes, this will sound crazy, when you're caught in your sin. Like when you're caught in your mess, you have nowhere to go, no excuses to make, nowhere to hide. It'd be like David in Psalms where you say, I have sinned against God. And friends, I fully believe we have succumbed to our cultural idols and we have sinned against God. And your step today, the message today, is the same one in Mark 1. Repent and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father,
You have loved us well. Father, we have exchanged over and over again um, your things for lesser things. Father, forgive us of that. Lord, speak to our hearts this morning. Where there is sin that needs to be confessed, let's be quick to confess sin. Let us confess, confess, let us repent, and then let us believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for being so good to us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Every week at Covenant, we take communion, this great picture of repentance and belief, right? Because Jesus paid the price. His blood was shed for us. His body was broken for us. And we partake as we proclaim who Jesus is. If you're new here, uh, you don't have to be a member of our church to partake in communion. You don't have to be a member of God's church. You've believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Uh, You just come, uh, you take the bread, dip it in the juice, and come when you're ready.
Would you stand with us? of the morning on side your eyes will awakens in the light of the day I look up to the sky and say you're beautiful You're beautiful. You're beautiful. 
Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the reminder of the truth of your gospel this morning. The way that so often we we allow the truth of your goodness, the truth of your kingdom to go in one ear and out the other, transforms maybe the way that we think about some things, but if it doesn't transform the way that we live or transform our actions, Father, then your word says we have been hearers but not doers. And I pray, God, today that we would be provoked, convicted by your spirit, to engage uh, the scriptures, but not just as uh, intellectuals or as people who are just seeking more knowledge, but as people who are seeking to know how to be human. And may we recognize that Jesus has provided us with the perfect example of how to be human. And that he empathizes with us in our weakness and in our sin. And was tempted in all the same ways that we are, and yet he was tempted without sin. Father, help us, uh, help us in our idolatry. The New City Catechism says that the definition of idolatry is worshiping the created rather than the creator. And the tricks of the enemy and the passions of our flesh are so um, deceitful that often we find ourselves out in the middle of nowhere and we can't even figure out how we got there. Help us to be aware of the schemes of the enemy. And Father, through the power of your spirit and the power of your word, Father, help us to do battle in our daily lives to emulate Jesus and to be the kind of people who live as Jesus would have us live, doing things that are counterintuitive like loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us, doing things like not worrying about money or clothing or food, not worrying about what is going to happen because the gospel message is so significant and so revolutionary that if Jesus has done all that scripture teaches us he has done, then what in the world do we have to be worried about? What do we have to be scared of? May the perfect love that we find in the truth of the gospel drive out fear in our lives, Father. It is in your holy and perfect name we pray. Amen. Just real quickly, I'm going to ask our uh, ushers to come forward. They're going to pass around the baskets to collect up your connection guides, prayer requests. Um, ties and offerings. Y'all go ahead and start passing those. As they're uh, passing the baskets, I want to take just a quick moment and uh, remind you of how God and the gospel is at work with our mission partners. So as a church, we really uh, partner with four different distinct areas of ministry and mission. Um, (coughs) 
excuse me, all over the world. First is uh, the Unreached People Group. Um, a report I read recently said there was as many as 30 million people in the area of Southeast Asia and surrounding area that are still unreached with the gospel. They've never heard the gospel in their own language. And so we've uh, partnered with a team over there. God's doing unprecedented things there. Um, it's it really incredible. Uh, you can uh, find out more information, get on some info list of, uh, of kind of being up to date on that. Uh, church planters. You can kind of hear our hardest for church planters, and we want to plant churches everywhere, and we want to raise up church planters from this church. So sending out uh, Stephen a year and a half ago uh, to New Orleans um, and uh, all over uh, the world, we're sending planters out. We're partnering with that ministry. Uh, really, if you've noticed, we've got a kind of a heart of adoption and fostering in our church. Uh, many people working towards that end, um, whether it's just short-time respite care or full-time um, or even, you know, international adoption as the Willis's we talked about. So, um, again, people you can find information on um, even there. And uh, finally, The Hub. The Hub is a ministry in Shreveport that tries to um, give access to a restored life um, to everyone in that area. And God's doing some incredible things there. So a lot of work still to be done. Uh, our church likes to volunteer on a regular basis with them. You can come find me if you want to be included in um, that ministry of serving. Let me say a quick prayer blessing over us and you'll be dismissed. God, thank you for this incredible uh, message from your word today. Lord, just what it means to my heart and soul to be gathered with the saints, to sing these great truths, um, fellowship with one another. And I just pray a prayer blessing over us as we leave here. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great week. Death defeated in his grave. Hope is alive today. Cause he is alive today. No matter what we face, we overcome in Jesus' name. This was more than just a man.